Hello and welcome back to uh, Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies in the order they were released. And currently I am in the silent era. I'm smack dab in the middle of it and uh, I needed help. I can't watch these alone anymore. It's just too much for me. Uh, so here at the halfway point, I brought in a guest who was willing to sit through a silent film and talk about it with me from Budget Arcade. It's Mark. Jeff paid me to be here. Yes. Um, you will get your payment <laughs> afterwards. <sighs> All right. So we watched uh, the movie Easy Virtue, um, which is a Hitchcock silent film. One of these days, I'll be able to say I watched a movie by Hitchcock that was not a silent film, but it is not this day. So, Mark, how many silent films do you think you've seen in your life? Uh, pro you know, probably... This is probably like either the third or the fourth. Uh, I'm not a fan of silent films. So this would also be my fourth uh, because I've never, until starting this podcast, watch a uh, silent movie from beginning to end until uh, I watched The Pleasure Garden, which was substantially better than what we have to talk about today. I, I, do, I should say that you probably have watched a silent film before before you started this podcast by simply what would i have fantasia i don't think i've actually you the disney movie yeah i'll just i don't want to go down I, we don't have time okay <laughs> full transparency i'm on my lunch break right now okay mark and i had to get this done because we need to be able to move on with our lives after watching uh easy virtue that's true uh, we watched Easy Virtue, came out in 1927, has a runtime of 80 minutes. I found that to be true with the uh, version that both Mark and I watched, as opposed to last week's episode, where the movie actually was longer. Uh, it, stells, uh, it stars Isabella Jeans as Loretta Filton, uh, Franklin Dye. Anyway, something you don't care, okay? Nobody here cares. So what I'm going to do, Mark, I'm just going to kind of quickly run down the plot because I don't think it'll take long. Okay. Uh, I would refer to this movie as bare bones storytelling. It's really just a framework to me. Does that sound fair? Yeah, I mean, that's you're giving a lot of credit there. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm one to talk about Hitchcock, and this is one of Hitchcock's first films. Uh, and this is his fifth film, right? His fifth full length film. Right, but the fact that it was made in 1927 and it's almost an hour and a half long, I think that's a testament to how much Hitchcock hated his audience. Um, <laughs> okay, listen, you are not going to besmirch the bespir besmirch besmirch the name of Alfred Hitchcock on my podcast. Okay, <laughs> the, the movie's not good. Excellent. The issue is, is that he's just not excellent yet. I think he's getting worse right now because I would say consistently, and you haven't listened to the other episodes because one, they're not out at the time of this recording, but consistently his movies have gotten worse. Uh, the first one was kind of weird, but fun in a train wreck sort of way. The second one was fine. And the third one was bad. And this one is worse than the last one. So plot wise. It's a, ooh, okay, there's like, everything starts off in a courtroom and they're going over uh, this. It's a divorce hearing, isn't it? 
is it a divorce hearing? What, Do they have full hearings? Like, because there's like a jury, wasn't there? Uh, I don't remember. I, all I remember from the beginning is the guy, the the judge or the magistrate looking through the the little. Yeah, the the opening shot of the movie is he looks up and looks directly into the camera. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think it's a divorce hearing. Okay, that that sounds about right. But Lorita is the protagonist here, and it is a divorce hearing between her and her husband, uh, whose name is Aubrey. Uh, she's getting a painting done of herself, so she's sitting still. Her husband is an alcoholic. He's drinking booze. He now they kind of hint that he's maybe an abuser because she has bruise on her wrists uh, from when he's been drinking. And the, the person who's painting her has the hots for her. He's like, I can take you away from this. And he starts moving in for a kiss. I'm skipping a lot because there's not a lot to talk about, but there's a lot of dead space. Her husband comes home and the painter skips discussing anything and just moves right into shooting the guy with the gun. She shoots Lorita's husband with a gun. After he shoots, gets shot with a gun, he's beating the painter with his cane. And then he just kind of bleeds out and falls over. Now, here's another. This movie suffers from a lot of the problems that the last movie did, where it's not communicating the plot very well. And it actually had more to read than some of the other movies did. But it's still not clear. Did Do you think her, her husband died? Uh, <laughs> that wasn't really clear, but... One of the last shots of him showed him kind of like just writhing in pain. And so the fact that Hitchcock didn't show him dead makes me believe that he's still alive. Yeah. And he hands uh, his wife a note basically apologizing for the himself. He doesn't say abuse, but and saying he'll do anything for her, which is typical you know, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean he's, act, he. you know, abusers tend to apologize and then abuse again. Well, I'm getting off on a That's called tangent manipulation. There. Yeah, he, he is. Anyway, there's like a trial. And I guess in the UK, in the 20s, you go to trial for divorce and there's a jury and everything. And they find her guilty of what, what was the wording? Did you happen to remember that? I could no. All right. <laughs> One sec. Oh, no, he's dead. Okay. He is dead? Good to know. All right. All right. So, uh, full transparency, I edited out of the bulk of Silence Era, but I went back to the movie because I wanted to find what she was guilty of, and I forgot to check that. Um, <laughs> or I did see it, but then I saw something else that... Anyway, her husband definitely died because she's v- guilty of... Con- trish- con- misconduct okay according to the movie she gets guilty of misconduct with the late no oh okay wait a minute hold on i don't know who's dead in this movie because this is part of the problem it it says the person who died was the painter but the painter didn't get shot is this a christopher nolan film I think it is. All right. It's tenant. So maybe we just don't understand it. We are not smart enough to get the, the genius at work here. Anyway, basically from what I understand, and this apparently is a huge story. Like it's sort of like your Bobbit, you know, Lorraine Bobbit story. One of those big breakups that just kind of everyone's heard of. 
uh, but it is kind of well known. And she ends up falling in love for a guy named John. They get married and they, and he, but okay. So she, he proposes to her in the back of a carriage and there's a conversation they have about this proposal, but you'd never get to see it. It's taking silent films to the next level because I don't know if you remember seeing this, Mark. <laughs> she calls John, her new fiance or about to be fiance, but you see it play through the eyes of the operator, the phone operator. She, and I didn't know this and I don't know how phones work in the twenties. So I'm just going to take the movie's word for it, but she connects the call collect connects Lorita to John and then the entire proposal and her acceptance or denial plays out completely on the face of the phone operator. I'll take your word for it. I don't remember. Did you watch this movie? (laughs) I I did 100%. I watched this movie. I spent an hour and a half of my life watching this movie. Here's, here's the thing. So I'll, I'll speed you up in the plot a little bit. Uh, the, the the second half of the film takes place uh, at John's parents' home. Um, now they're wealthy. And, uh, so one thing we main, need to get mentioned yes, too about the trial well to is do. that her ex husband was wealthy as well, and they I think that's kind of why she's got this bad reputation is because people think that she had married her husband and then she got the life insurance and there's like policies and all this stuff that happened with, I don't know. The movie doesn't explain it that well, but that's what I've gleaned from this is that people blame her for this death because she was trying to get money, but go ahead. Uh, So, so uh, one thing I noticed about this film is that it stood out more than anything else to me was John's mother. Uh, oh, yes. And everything about all the scenes she's in. And if you if you ever watch a silent film, the the score for the film makes the movie. Um, yeah. It, it's your, it tells the story. Yeah, it's, it's your, it's your yeah. cue of, hey, what's coming? Who's a bad guy? Who's a good guy? Um, <laughs> John's mother's music is very mafioso- uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, very, uh, dark and, and, and heavy, uh, and she's kind of this domineering figure and she doesn't approve of John's new fiance. And she kind of has the same thing as she, she tells, uh, what's the main character's name anyway? Uh, she, uh Lorita. Yeah. Lorita. She tells her, you know, Hey, I think I've seen you before. Mm-hmm. And she can't put her, you know, can't put her finger on it and, and, you know, Lorita's like, oh, no, you have never seen me before. And then John's mom figures it out. And that's when the movie falls apart. Not the, the movie falls apart, but Lorita falls apart. The relationship yeah. and all that. And uh, I just. So, uh, bef- yeah, go ahead. Before you move on. I have because you mentioned his mother. Um, who is played by Violet Fairbrother. And why I'm stopping you here, because you haven't heard the last episode I recorded, but this actress was in the previous movie I watched called Downhill. And in that movie, did I, was there anything striking about her physical appearance to you? She's very tall. 
She's very tall. She's a big, not fat, as I said in the previous episode, but big woman. She's tall. She has guns. She looks like she picks heavy things up and puts them back down. (laughs) And in the previous movie, I swear she had a mustache. (laughs) Now, I believe she shaved for this movie, but she uh, is in three Hitchcock films. Uh, This is the second of which uh, the... She played a small role in Downhill the last week, uh, and she plays a small role in the movie to come, uh, but she definitely doesn't play, play a small role here. And I actually think of the biggest redeeming value in this movie is her performance. Yeah, for sure. She's uh, she's far and above everybody else in this film. Yeah, she she has tremendous charisma. She has great and and this is something that keeps be, uh, being a theme on this podcast is how important body language is in a silent film and she gets it there's a point where they're writing out uh in, invitations to this party they're hosting and Larita goes to ask if she can help and you don't get uh, a cue card to tell you what's exactly being said but her body language says it all how much she disdains Larita uh really just based on the fact that she's seen her before and there's something off about her to his mother. And uh, speaking of, you know, the title cards or, you know, speech cards or whatever you call them. And so silent films, that's where, that's how the plot moves along. Um, And Hitchcock doesn't use that many. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, that choice of not using the cue cards or title cards or whatever is a detriment to the film is because this film is based off of a screenplay. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a, not based off a of screen, but it was based off of a, um, a sta- stage, stage play. play. And, yeah. you know, stage play is driven by dialogue. <laughs> and so when you take a stage play and you, you, you make it a, a silent film, and you don't use title cards. I just didn't think it was a good, it wasn't a good choice by by Hitchcock for this film. Mm-hmm. Well, I can say, and and this again has been a theme going through these silent movies. And you're saying a lot of things I've been saying is he doesn't in all of these silent films use a lot of dialogue cards. And in the first two films, I found that to be very beneficial. Uh, The story was able to be conveyed uh, through body language and context clues, and it's done very well. You don't miss a beat on the first two movies. Downhill in this movie, there's a lot left to guess, and it would have benefited from some more clarity. And it doesn't honestly need that much more dialogue. I think you can still tell the story with a little extra dialogue without bloating it down with tons of text to read. That's that's true. Uh, And, you know, and as the film progresses, he does use a little bit more, like Mm -hmm. towards the end of the film, he uses a ton. And uh, I just thought that was a just weird choice by, by him as a, I guess a young, young director. Right. Uh, and and maybe that's not the legend yet. Right. And maybe that was just a feeling out process or you the know. man has like a 50 year career. No joke. And so part of the reason he's a legend is because he's been by the time he stopped making movies, he'd been doing it a long time. So 
Uh, we're still very much in the infancy of his his career. Right, he was he was like 28 or 27, 28 years old when he made this film. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, I think back, what was I? What was I doing at 27? Wasn't making silent playing films. Nintendo, right? Uh, but no, I mean, uh, so and forgive me if I'm stepping on toes here, Jeff, but. Uh, you know, some of Hitchcock's motifs in all of his films are strong matriarchal figures. Um, and I think that was the, the, the theme here. And it's kind of cool to, from having seen some of Hitchcock's more well-known films, and then seeing this one so early on in his career, and he started this, you know, this this trend this motif that he was going to feature a strong motherly figure in a majority of his films and that i think that was kind of cool to see here so the other thing that's been a trend on all of the movies i've watched so like hitchcock's kind of known for murder and there's murder in this but known for thrill he's the master of suspense right and at no point in this movie was i suspended (laughs) um (laughs) This is the, th- the the fourth movie I've watched of his, and it's another love story, like a doomed love story, which has been the case for pretty much all of his movies. Now, Downhill starts off that way, but then kind of goes downhill from there. No pu- well, pun intended, but it's just kind of this consistent. He hasn't found that like none of these to me, except for The Lodger, feels like a Hitchcock style film. Yeah, no. uh, let, let, Go ahead. I was going to say, let's get let's get through this plot here because we're, we're getting there. There's not much to say, but uh, essentially um, they do find out as they have a visitor who immediately recognizes uh, Lorita as uh, the this divorcee that had this murder surrounding her. And she everyone finds out and the, the matriarch says, hey there's this party they're throwing. You don't come to it. Just go upstairs and leave us alone the whole time though. So when they first get there, Lorita is told by John's sister that they had hoped she would marry Sarah. Now, Sarah is, I guess someone is a friend of the family and Sarah is actually a kind and decent person in this movie. I don't know if you know which one that is, but she would like, there was no vindictiveness about her man being taken or anything like that. She very much just tried to support them in this time where they're being isolated uh, from John's family. Yeah, she, she was very clearly the, uh, the 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 angel, you know, figure in mm-hmm. in his life, and she's a keeper. Yeah, yeah. Like if it, John wants to marry her, which. Uh, you know, Lorita even says she's who you should have married at some point near the end of the movie. Uh, she's a keeper. She's great. She for kind and doesn't hold a grudge, doesn't get angry. Um, although she does kind of get frustrated with the matriarch because she's kind of mean, you know. Uh, but so they go to this party. And I'm sure I'm skipping something, but it doesn't matter. But they're at the party. And. Lorita decides she's going to go ahead and get dressed up and come down to the party. So she gets dolled up, comes down to the party, uh, makes friends with this guy who kind of sold her out. Um, 
and determines that she's going to leave the family. She's going to leave. She's going to get another divorce. And, um, and we should say in the twenties, I think divorce is much more, much less common and much more frowned upon than it would be today. I don't know about in the UK, but certainly in the States, that was the case. Well, if they had to have so it was a, like a trial. Big <laughs> yeah, they have a trial for it. And she's getting double divorced now. And so after the trial ends, these news people are outside and they're like, oh, here comes the, inf- the notorious Loretta Filton. And uh, they take pictures of her. She says, shoot away. There's nothing else to live for. Something like that. And the movie ends. And I ask you, Mark, what was the point of this movie? Honestly, I believe it's it's a case of Hitchcock feeling himself out. Uh, I, I don't I don't I really don't know why we had to sit through an hour and a half of that plot, um, because there was no nothing that was you know grandiose about it, or that you know I mean it didn't even have highly known actors at the time you know that this film was was made mm-hmm. and so it's and hitchcock wasn't a household name yet he had one hit under his belt right and I, that was it and i but i i really believe that it was him feeling himself out if you if you go back and you just you pay attention to the cinematography throughout the film it's very sophisticated for a uh for a 20s film uh I mean, there's just certain shots like they're going to I think they're in France or whatever and they're going across a bridge and uh, the bridge is between two mountains and there's some mountains in the background and and, and it's a it's a far away shot and you see uh, the the carriage or the car or whatever they're in just going over this bridge and I, I you know that blew my mind because this movie was made in 1927 and, and that's a film or a, that's mm-hmm. a shot in this silent film that honestly probably wasn't being done very often. Those type of shots. There's, yeah. There's another shot that I can think of is when they're driving in a car and there's a, there's a camera in the car and it's steady and still, and it's taking footage from inside the car of them driving which I think was probably pretty difficult to pull off in its time. So Hitchcock's still experimenting with shots and things like that. And I think uh, that would go for the Lodger as well. The Lodger being the second movie I watched of his, his third film that uh, has a lot of that cinematography, a lot of things that remind me of Psycho. Um, so I, I, I can definitely get behind the fact that he's definitely feeling himself out, but he's not there yet. No. Oh, Lord, he's not there yet. <laughs> no, this, I mean, this film is not good. Uh, it just No. It just, uh, you can see throughout the film certain uh, c- cinema, not cinematography, but certain certain choices he makes with the film that make you go, hmm, that's, he's going to do that a lot later. You know, uh, later on in his career, he's going to these are the type of things that are going to make Hitchcock such a great director later in his life. So, uh, yeah, I think we're, let's just official officially say it. Uh, I my rating system is a two point system. It's thumbs up or thumbs down. How do you feel? No, it's thumbs down. Yeah. And I'm going to agree. It, this is just another one. If you're uh, like me and you. 
you're interested in Hitchcock's work, this is another one you can skip. There's really no story to even be told. Uh, I honestly don't know what happened in the movie and why we're told the story. There's no intriguing things that happen outside of the first bit of the movie where someone gets shot. Uh, there is a, a good performance by uh, his mother. I think does a great job. She eats up some real estate on the screen and it's not because she's 83 feet tall. Um, but she's really good in this. So, okay. I think I'm halfway through. Uh, let me, let me go back and find how many Hitchcock movies I need to watch that are still silent. <laughs> You're doing the Lord's work. Oh, <laughs> uh, Hitchcock. What? Aliens are going to discover this podcast 5,000 years from now and, they're going to question why from the internet. <laughs> you know, what was this guy doing? Like he did this for free. Like I, you know, nobody made him do it. So, all right. So I've got one, two, three, four more silent films. I'm over halfway through now that we've completed this, or I'm exactly halfway through. Although the first talkie, it's kind of a weird hybrid of silent and talkie, but we're, we're just going to call it the talkie. But so I've got four more and the next one is called the ring. It came out in 1927. Do you have any advice for me, Mark? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I watch it on two times speed. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I can do that. I guess I could have, <laughs> but that to, to me, I got I got to be true to life, right? I got to, yeah honor the integrity of the podcast and watch the film as it was intended to be to be made in the best way I can. Uh, and one thing I want to say uh, too is that the print of the movie we saw was not particularly good. Uh, there was a lot of graininess. Now there was a kind of a nice, pleasant crackle to the sound, yeah. which I liked. Um, but in a lot of the lighting was washing things out. Whereas some of the other movies I watched had really good prints, especially The Lodger. And probably because it was a hit, there were more prints available to find and restore. Uh, but this just really didn't look great. So I'm looking at uh, Hitchcock's filmography and something that stands out is this dude made 10 films in like a span of three years. <laughs> Yeah. And so this is like his early years. He makes a lot real quick. And then as we get closer to his later years, he slows down significantly. Um, but the movies also get way better. Right. And so I'm really cannot wait to the point where I'm doing rear window psycho, <laughs> uh, North by Northwest vertigo. Yeah. I cannot wait, you know, but right now I got to watch the ring next. So it's a boxing movie. I mean, yeah, it could be okay. okay. Oh, listen, if you, I got, I'll just try to find the fight scene from uh, downhill, the movie I reviewed last week, and you'll see what I really have to look forward to. What I, what I'm expecting to see in this boxing movie. <sighs> well, that's another episode of Hitchcock chronologically done. And then the can Mark, do you have any like Twitter account or any, thing you want to plug or say uh yeah you can find me on twitter at i heard you liked 
uh, I heard you liked. Um, and I talk about movies and and such there. Yes. He also is uh, one of the co-hosts of Budget Arcade with me and Scott, where we review free-to-play games. And also, uh, we do an off-week show called um, Dirty Jeff and Sugar Mark, uh, which is not true that that's not the name of it. But we do an off-week show and we talk about video games topics, including, um, well, when this comes out, never mind, that won't make sense because this is going to come out way later. Anyway... I want to thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at hitchcockchronologically at gmail.com. You can also go to Budget Arcade's socials. That's Budget Arcade on Twitter and Instagram and go to the Discord there. You can find me and we can have a discussion. Mark's in there active as well and he talks a lot of movies because if you're listening to this, you probably like movies. I love movies. Yes. Well, thanks again for listening. Next week, it's The Ring. Have a good one.